Hello, and welcome to the ESET Research Podcast, where ESET shares its latest and most notable security findings with the security research community and beyond. My name is Ari Goretsky, and I'm ESET's distinguished researcher and the host of the ESET Research Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with ESET's own specialized security researcher, Cameron Camp, about how he could have cracked open the networks of several organizations, including a multinational tech company, a topic he's just presenting about at the RSA Security Conference in San Francisco. Hey, Cameron. Hey, Ari. So your RSA talk is called we could have cracked open the network for under $100. Is that really what you're able to do? Or was that kind of a metaphor? I think it's a warning to the industry that this is the kind of thing that we sort of imagine that people are using crazy zero days and really, really creepy nation state things. And in fact, we may have a flaw within the industry that allows people to do that for much, much less effort, and in fact, uh, possibly under $100. And that's something we need to focus on because it's a, it's a real problem. I, I see. So uh, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about is how exactly did you start down this line of research? Um, did you actually start by looking for the data stored in these secondhand used routers that you purchased, or was there something else? Not at all. Um, we were actually looking to build a, a test lab or a test scenario within the labs that we have all around the world. And we got the idea of spinning up a lab that had something that as closely replicates a typical corporate environment as we could manage. And so we, we actually started by doing that. And it just so happened that part of that was re is obtaining routers that would be pretty much indicative or pretty typical in a corporate environment. And that's what we started doing. And then we found a bunch of information that was quite concerning on the router. So to dissect these routers and, and look into those secrets, um, what sort of hardware and software tooling were you using? Uh, was there anything special that you had to build or was it all off the shelf or some mixture? We were really typically used to doing low level research, whether that's software reverse engineering or firmware reverse engineering, or perhaps some component of hardware, embedded hardware. That's what we're used to, and that actually includes some pretty crazy techniques. But the first thing you learn when you're, when you're approaching this kind of research is to try the simple things first. And we, so we started simple, and we found some results using simple tools, which is even more concerning. Hmm. Interesting. So things like null modem cables and uh, just a terminal? Well, that's, of course, where you start when you want to watch the device boot. You get console and you watch it and, and see if you can ascertain anything about the unit. So as you started to um, connect to these routers and um, get into their, their firmware, uh, their uh, configs, uh, whatever else was stored on them uh, in the persistent uh, RAM, um, what kinds of information were you finding? We found a complete blueprint of small to medium to large and sometimes global organizations. So with, with that kind of information, um, exactly what kind of 
attack scenarios um, could that information be misused for? You know, what do you envision an attacker doing with it? So think about this. If you have a router and the kinds of information that are on that router really form uh, a super critical intersection of how your organization interacts with both internal and external uh, resources, whether it's internal uh, exchange servers or video servers or door access all the way down to physical access, that all goes through the router. And the router is obviously, even if you work in an organization, very, very few people in the organization have access to the router. Why? Because it's the ability to sit at the digital intersection and look at everything going by. And so whether that's uh, root password, cryptographic hashes, uh, company directory information, specific IPs of admins at their home or a remote office, or the location of your data centers and the data that's contained and how to seamlessly authenticate across that fabric, sometimes using uh, automated logins um, to gain access and pivot and go elsewhere. It's very, very scary stuff. Uh, I, I know that um, when you purchased these routers, um, pretty much all of them were in working condition. Um, I recall one required a power supply that it didn't ship with. Um, but um, one of them was actually uh, dead on arrival. Did you ever get back to looking at that to see if there was any information stored? Or was it truly pining for the fjords dead? It, it's unclear. Um, so I suspect if a person was able to go in there and access the, uh, the storage medium for that, that router and put it into another chassis, there may be some recoverable information. Quite frankly, we were, uh, we thought we had enough results based on just excluding that for the time being that we didn't have to do deep dive forensics evaluation or anything like that. We had enough results scarily, uh, without it, though we certainly could go back and get more information the it, it it didn't seem to be needed there was easier things to be had you know one of the things that just crosses my mind is you know although your research was conducted on routers that you you purchased used um a lot of these same um investigatory techniques um could apply to routers and other network gear um that was left in a war zone um like what's going on in Ukraine. There are uh, cities with uh, commercial ISPs there. And presumably when those uh, people had to leave, they left their networking gear up and running. And those networks, of course, would be uh, connected to the internet um, and going outside of the conflict region. Yes, actually, if you were to take, uh, let's say you had to leave the building suddenly, <clears throat> um, routers, ten, uh, core routers, tend to be from very few manufacturers. It's just a lot like airplanes. There's not that many manufacturers of airplanes. And so if you understand one Airbus, you can go to the other side of the globe and be able to uh, work pretty much uh, right away on another Airbus. Same is true with the devices that we got. This would be typical of a device, regardless of where in the world it happened to be. Super, super common. So the Cisco's, the Junipers, the Fortinets of the world that are already routing lots of traffic. That's going to be exactly what they have in Ukraine or any other uh, country. And uh, they're going to be common routers just like the ones we got. So absolutely, you could apply the same techniques and probably get a good bit of information if that was what you were attempting to do. Hmm. 
So um, this residual data that you found on all of these routers, um, do you feel that this is an IT industry specific issue or it only affects some specific sectors or is it more widespread? Well, we did actually find some pretty good size uh, Silicon Valley A-list um, technology companies for sure, and 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 the global uh, technology company as well. But what surprised us is how many of them were really directly related to that, whether it's a small manufacturer or whether it's somebody that uh, um, rents commercial trade show equipment or something that was involved in technology, but that wasn't really their core business. So. It was less IT specific than we might have imagined. So, um, you know, ESET is a core believer in responsible disclosure. Um, we have our own policies for that. And I know that once you realize what you had on your hands or on, on your network rack, um, you began the process of attempting to contact these companies to uh, disclose the the vulnerabilities that you found. Um, how did that process go for you? Um, were the organizations happy to hear from you, somewhat standoffish, uh, or something else? Was it a particularly easy and simple process for you? I think once people figured out what we had, they were very anxious and very thankful to talk to us. And of course, you know, I was mostly interesting get interested in getting the t-shirt and because you know in the industry we share and share alike amongst trust groups and so we understand that researchers talk to researchers and so to your question when we were talking to IT focused organizations they tend to under, tended to understand and be able to relate to what they were saying however those who were not in the IT business or technology primarily were woefully unprepared. They, in some cases, we never really did get a hold of them, even though they were in industries where you would think it would be sort of easy to get a hold of people like PR, you know, creative in, in industries, uh, lawyers. You would think those are the people you call when you have problems or PR people you call because you're having, you know, something with, that you want to do with the press. And the, those were the toughest, ironically, to get a hold of. Sounds like a case of the uh, cobbler's uh, children always running barefoot. <laughs> yes. So um, I have to ask, because because you mentioned it in your response before, um, you say that you um, received some uh, T-shirts as thanks from some of these affected organizations. Yes. How many T-shirts did you end up receiving? You know, that's privileged information, but I in one case, I... I I think this company did went the extra mile when they gave me not just t-shirts, but hoodies and two, two hoodies. So that makes a hacker very happy. That's, that's definitely uh, upping the uh, vulnerability response uh, disclosure bounty there with two hoodies. Okay. Well, and speaking of bounty, they actually, we were able to, in, in one case, we were able to get a bounty, which we donated to nonprofits, um, Tor and EFF, just because what goes around comes around, we want to share within the industry and be good industrial in, industry citizens within the security industry. So uh, we're not in it for the money. Um, we're in it for to make organizations aware this may be a problem and please talk to us. So um, you mentioned that you know that 
that this is a problem uh, just then, but um, why is this a problem? What caused these routers to uh, go out, uh, become uh, part of the used uh, secondhand equipment resale market? Is it a, a lack of skills on the part of the original owner, that time that they had to get rid of things? Uh, was it an issue with, with funding or money? What what brought that these routers to you with those configurations on them? You know, we study a lot of malware, and malware is always, I think the idea is that it's one sort of monolithic big piece of malware. But in fact, to successfully deliver malware to a target, there's quite a chain of events involved. And that is, that's the same with this research. It's slightly different, but basically... First, it left the, left the company's doors. Well, did it leave on purpose? Uh, one company suggested no. We have no way to verify that. Should they have um, cleaned and you know, wiped the device before it left the premises? Sure. Um, but after it leaves the premises, there's a whole secondary marketplace that is tasked with wipe, securely wiping any company data off of these devices. And it might change hands many times before uh, becomes to the point where a researcher might pick a, a, up a router for a particular project. So it's not a mon monolithic thing. It's not one thing. It is a chain of potential problems. And our point of view is, well, I don't know what specifically needs to be fixed, but we want to warn the companies because it should have never left with data on it. And also they may want to check their recycle people because clearly it didn't work in this case or in a high percentage of cases. So, um, it, it sounds like in some of these cases, um, the organizations hired companies to remove the equipment and were given like um, certificates of disposal or uh, data destruction. And, and that clearly wasn't the case that it had been uh, had their data destroyed. Yeah, clearly, because otherwise it wouldn't be uh, so uh, prevalent in the, in the routers that we took a look at. I mean, the proof is that I have a, a rack full of routers sitting here with company data on them. And um, just for our listeners who may not be aware, uh, Cameron and I are actually on a video conference. And indeed, there is a rack behind him of equipment that I can see. Um, for those of you listening in, you'll just have to visualize that. So, um, you know, obviously your your research was into... Um, uh, these these core uh, network routers for organizations, um, but have you seen this kind of um, configuration data uh, from previous owners showing up on other equipment, uh, other kinds of hardware, IoT equipment, medical devices, and, and so forth, some of the other kinds of hardware you've been researching? You know, I think for years people have had as, you know, sort of public enemy number one as hard drives, undisposed computers that have been disposed of. What is not obvious is that there are a lot of what non-standard or things you wouldn't think of of necessarily storing secrets, like printers with hard drives that cache documents, like IoT, which now, even though despite being a small device, could have, you know, quite a lot of storage capability or something that interacts with the cloud. Maybe it caches locally and then it communicates with the cloud. So it's not just hard drives anymore. And uh, clearly there's an issue with routers, but there's also an issue that's uh, bound to be future research on 
other devices that are in the field right now that we don't know about and some researcher is going to find a problem with them. And I hope they have a little easier time than we did notifying companies. What exactly is it that IT departments should be doing when they decommission a router? Um, Are there proper steps for them to take that are documented? For that matter, um, should they even be, um, you know, once these devices are decommissioned, should they even be um, reselling them? So it really depends on the manufacturer. And some manufacturers have better or worse documentation on how to securely wipe the device. That wasn't exactly the issue. Um, the issue was that even though the steps may have been somewhat simpler, simple, and in fact are relatively simple to do a cursory wipe of data, they didn't even try. So in, to the question of whether this data should ever leave your perimeter or your physical location, um, I think if you're really concerned with that, there's ways to securely to destroy, to physically destroy uh, media, removable media and, and electronic devices, tech devices. But they didn't even get that far. So if you, to your point, if you go and you get on the, your manufacturer's uh, website, they're going to tell you how to do it. And it, typically, it's not that difficult. Now, if you have the higher level of paranoia, more sensitive data, you can take extra steps. But these guys didn't even take some of the basic steps. And I, I know that in, in your paper, um, you did have some uh, guidelines for both um, IT departments and even device manufacturers uh, that they should uh, take to make it easier uh, to perform a wipe at the, the end of service. Yes, yes. We have some recommendations. And for those of you that got a chance to look at the white paper, we get into some more depth on that. Um, and certainly you're welcome to drop us a line uh, if, you, if you're if you looking for clarification. But but the white paper should really help you. So if you get a chance to look at that, it might be useful. And that's the a white paper uh, accompanying the article on welivesecurity.com. Now, um, let's assume you're a organization and you found out that um, routers have gone out and uh, been decommissioned and um, a researcher like yourself contacts the organization saying, hey, I found your uh, corporate network secrets out here. What should that company be doing? What, how should they be protecting their network uh, once they realize that uh, the keys to the kingdom are out there? The first thing they need to do is gain control of the situation. So first of all, to understand what exactly, to the best that they know, what kind of data may be exposed. Without that context, it's really hard to go off in all different directions. But with that context, they can start to formulate a plan and treat it like any other leak. And so first thing you want to do is is understand the scope of the leak and do efforts to contain that. At At the same time, it makes sense to start thinking like, an attacker and say, well, if I, if they were going to attack me in some way, how, you know, what, what would that look like exactly? And what should I do to try and stop that attack? And so really there's, there's a disaster response element to it. And, and, and uh, or at least an, ex, an internal ex- exercise to understand what would happen if you had data leakage, this is one potential tabletop exercise that may be worth doing. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, as a, a, Closing thought, um, if there were one thing that you could get organizations to do 
one thing um, with their networking gear, um, as it gets decommissioned, what would that be? I think basic hygiene. Talk to the network admins and ask them if they're doing a basic wipe. And before it gets crazy and before you take it out in the yard and you know shoot it with a giant five-inch cannon and uh, burn it in a fire, make sure the basics are being done. And it's sadly, this is a, this is a, a, a talk about uh, hygiene, cyber hygiene. And we're still talking about it, but obviously we haven't gotten there yet. So uh, doing the basics, it may sound silly, but in the basics would have definitely saved these companies from a lot of potential pain. Cameron, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to speak with us and record this podcast today. Thanks, Ari. This has been an episode of the ESET Research Podcast. For more information about our research, follow ESET Research on Twitter and on Mastodon, or visit welivesecurity.com for the latest in our blogs and white papers. This show has been hosted by me, Ari Goretsky, ESET's Distinguished Researcher. My guest today was ESET Specialized Security Researcher Cameron Camp. This podcast was produced by Security Awareness Specialist Andre Kubovich with love and care in Bratislava. Until the next time, stay safe out there. <laughs>